A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, I reckon we kick this off. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Uh, Rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. Rational fear recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight, Saudi Arabia admits that the Khashoggi killing was the wrong way to go about creating a hit true crime podcast. <laughs> and the Australian government is planning on removing children from detention centres on Nauru and Manus Island. Not until the federal election is called so people can remember what good blokes they are. <laughs> and with the US midterm elections around the corner, we give you the top five places to watch the second American Civil War. <laughs> Coming in at number one, the Southern Hemisphere. This is the show that's scarier than your uncle's Facebook feed. This is Irrational Fear. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Irrational Fear. And now, let is, let's meet the fear mongers straight away. One of the benefits of being friends with her is that you get a constant Bachelor update whenever The Bachelor is on in your DMs. It's, it's like some kind of premium subscription service. Of course, we're talking about author, comedian, pop culture connoisseur and ACRA award winner, Rosie Waterland. Rosie, tell me, what are your other premium services you, you give out when you're friends with you? Well, not when you're friends with me, but even when you follow me, I've had a few audience members come up to me tonight and ask me how my eye is, because I give health updates on all my social media <laughs> channels, and I've had an injured eye this week. So if you want TMI about all my issues... That's actually great for me. I don't have any grandparents left, so this is like a... Really... <laughs> it is really lovely. It's actually and very similar to what it was like when she was alive. Yeah. The connection between you and people you've never met before is really beautiful and strong. <laughs> like and subscribe. Our next fearmonger is monging for the first time. She's a writer, broadcaster and journalist and is the host of Arvo's and Agenda on FBI Radio. She is Tanya Ali. Hello. Tanya, as a young person of colour in Australian media, what is the best opportunity you see out there? <laughs> well, Dan... I mean, as a person who feels very uh, under-deserving of being on this incredible panel uh, and not a very funny person in general... Neither are I we. Feel it's like okay. That <laughs> is an opportunity as a young person of colour that I probably wouldn't have gotten if I wasn't a young person of colour. Uh, no shade. <laughs> hey Dan, Dan, like, only recently became a person of colour. He, um... <laughs> Um, so uh, excuse me, Dan Illich. Yeah, Dan so, yeah. changed his When I met him, it was Illich. And, uh, I met Dan Illich from Bondi. But... <laughs> excuse so me, Dan's excuse me Dan Illich from Sydney's Greater West. <laughs> <laughs> Beecroft. Um, yeah. uh, all right, he's one of the founding fear mongers of Irrational Fear, and he's back because someone really good couldn't make it. Uh, <laughs> Since his last time on Irrational Fear, he's gone on to write for Gruen, The Weekly, Tonightly, and Tomorrow Tonight, and got engaged to a national treasure. It's James Colley. 
James, you have done you have done so well since you left Irrational Fear. Um, I highly recommend it. <laughs> You've really come to the big leagues, Tanya. This is where it all happens. And next is a man who gets stopped three times an hour on Halloween by people making the same Where's Wally joke. <laughs> We're just lucky we found him first. It's Triple J Drives, Lewis Hobber. Now, uh, Lewis, what's the best thing about Halloween for you? Halloween? Well, Dan, as you know, I grew up in the country in a, in a hippie commune. Um, so for me, the best thing is that um, people knock on your door. <laughs> I just, it's still a novelty for me. <laughs> and finally, I'm your host, comedian, director and regularly fired TV producer, Dan Illich. <laughs> And this is Irrational Fear, the show that proves the news makes us scared of all the wrong things. Now, here are the top three fears for this month. Fear number three, kids on Nauru. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, speaking to Alan Jones on his breakfast show, said kids are being removed from Nauru and Manus and will all be gone by the end of the year. But the Prime Minister says he, uh, sorry, the Prime Minister says he doesn't want to do any, quote, showboating about it. That's Scott that's Morrison. That's because he stopped the showboat. Yeah, I that's think. right. <laughs> This is uh, strange because, you know, he said this to Alan Jones, who we all know is the real Prime Minister. Uh, no, it's strange because at the same time, the federal government is in court with human rights lawyers trying to prevent children being relocated off Nauru and Manus to Australia. It's almost like they're trying to deceive us. Um, so what is happening here? Are the kids going? Are they staying? Where are they going to go? James. Oh, well, I think they will come here, but it's not as a matter of compassion. It's because uh, Scott Morrison is interested in finding a new kind of trauma to deliver upon them, so he's separating them from their parents. <laughs> what, not fun? <laughs> We're all complicit. <laughs> the truth is hurting some of the people in this room tonight. I, the facts are difficult to chew. Now, this government, the government actually rejected a plan to relocate these island seekers to New Zealand. Why, why did they do this? Well, it's just because Nauru is such a beautiful place. So, uh, we all heard the uh, minister from Furrowinga this, uh, this week talk about why would you go to the home of Lord of the Rings when you could go to Nauru? It's a tropical paradise. That, he actually said it's a very pleasant island. Mm. It's very pleasant if you like hellscapes made out of pigeon poo. Because that's what Nauru is. Also, like, Bowral's nice, but being in the prison in Bowral isn't nice. <laughs> What's the future for these kids, do you think, Rosie? Look, I feel like ScoMo... Hashtag ScoMo, ordinary bloke, um, isn't going to rest until he decides where to place them via some kind of Hunger Games fight-to-the-death situation. <laughs> Come on, it's not me, it's them! <laughs> Isn't, like, New Zealand kind of perfect, though? Because they've already built massive sets for people about this tall. <laughs> it's true. It's all set up. It's all set up. Uh, let's move on to fear number two, shall we? <laughs> fear number two. Scott Morrison thinks he's people. Uh, in an attempt to be the country's cool school camp counsellor, uh, the... The Prime Minister, ScoMo, has taken to doing casual videos of himself with one leg up on a chair with his nuts facing forward or flipping through his iPhone or in the back of a car. Or well, this week, the freshest of all our Prime Ministers even stole a meme from Bob Hawke by sculling a schooner of beer at the cricket in Canberra. Uh, look, it's my honestly held opinion that um, normalisation can become a problem. Look at Bill Shorten. I mean, he's tried to be normal for the last ten years. <laughs> Yet the man has all the personality of a broken assault shaker. Like, it's just like, who is this guy? It, it, it doesn't take much for normal to become a normie or average to become mm, very average or when all you want is people to say, he's just an ordinary bloke. It doesn't take much to turn that into, yeah, he's a pretty ordinary bloke. <laughs> so my question for you folks is, what should Scott Morrison do to endear himself to the everyday person Tan? Well, uh, Tony Abbott did it first, but that doesn't mean that we can't have that happen again. Um, so you take an onion. <laughs> <laughs> you, he knows what to do. So he, this all started, like, his first step into I'm Ordinary was uh, supporting the Cronulla Sharks, 
which surely, if you want to be an average Australian, fucking hate the Cronulla Sharks. <laughs> like, yeah, them and the uh, Collingwood Magpies. They're my boys. <laughs> I just like and places also... where race riots start. <laughs> my favourite cricket team, the West Indies. Who's with me? <laughs> it's this 1980s nostalgia for <laughs> Australia. Oh, I love that America's Cup. Do you know he has a hat collection? Like a legit hat, and not just like all Hurley hats. Like he actually has a collection of historic hats. I'm sorry, what, what's happening? What, what did is you he say? Scott Morrison has a hat collection. What? He collects hats. Could are, you you saying, s- are you saying ScoMo has a hat co? Yeah. <laughs> has he put this on hashtag Insta? How do you know? I, when he first became our Prime Minister, I was like, fuck, who is this guy apart from the Tourism Australia executive? I was like, fuck, what is it? And I, one of his top three facts is like, he collects hats. <laughs> like, if you want to be normal, step one, don't collect shit. It's weird. I, I would love to see a, a documentary with Rosie going over to Scott Morrison's house, going through the hat collection. I want to see those hats. I feel like it'll be me and who was that rapper that he got in with? ScoMo. Oh, that was Fat Man Scoop. He's going to go to his show. Fat Man Scoop. ScoMo and Fat Man. We had Fat Man Scoop on our show a year ago, right? It was this fucked up thing where we do this thing where at our radio station we do, I think, a one-night stand each year where we um, do, like, a gig in the middle of nowhere and we take a a bunch of Australian bands out and um, we did it in Mount Isa, right? (laughs) Mount fucking Isa. About as far away from anywhere as you can get. And on the same night, by coincidence, Fat Man Scoot was doing a show <laughs> in Mount Isa. And we're like, the fuck is going on? <laughs> so we got Fat Man, we were like, let's get, let's get in touch with Fat Man Scoot, we'll get him to come and do like an introduction to, the, to our big one night stand thing, it'll be hilarious. And he did it, because he'll do anything, because he's Fat Man Scoot. <laughs> And so when Scott Morrison was like, oh, Fat Man Scoop, you can catch me any time. And then Fat Man Scoop was like, oh, I got you. And then he was just like, whoa, we managed to get Fat Man Scoop. I'm like, mate, we got Fat Man Scoop. Anyone can get Fat Man Scoop. Tweet him. He's around. Dan, next show, Fat Man Scoop on the panel. On the panel. Bring it, bring it. Um, comedian Jack Drews has a newsletter. In his newsletter, he was talking about the, the time he found out about Scott Morrison becoming Prime Minister. And he said he was on a plane for 24 hours flying back from Europe and he landed, turned on his phone and he saw a news alert saying, Prime Minister Scott Morrison does bilateral with Fat Man Scoops. And, and he said... Well, first of all, that's news. Scott Morrison's our Prime Minister. And Fat Man Scoop's relation to Australian politics is questionable. (laughs) Fear number one. uh, Climate change is bad again. Uh, This month, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change handed down their latest report. uh, And if you hate the cold, good news. It's only going to get a lot hotter around the world. The only place it's due to be colder is in the hearts of fossil fuel industry executives. Um, Perhaps the best headline for the oncoming apocalypse was from the Washington Post, who wrote... Climate scientists are struggling to find the right words for very bad news. <laughs> that was the headline. Uh, that's like the equivalent of my mum saying, Oof, the United Nations isn't angry. The United Nations is just disappointed. <laughs> uh, look, we're not climate scientists, so uh, what words should we use to help them out? Now, not using any swearing... I want you to kind of redefine the executive summary of the IPCC report using your own words. I reckon, because mostly the problem is boomers, so if you want them to pay attention, I would go with Mamma Mia, three. (laughs) I would say, remember when Princess Diana died and we got stuck with Camilla? Remember when The Sopranos... Cut to black. That's what you guys did to the fucking planet. (laughs) That's harsh. We had the planet killed in a Paris tunnel? (laughs) (laughs) There are actually some pretty wild photos online. (laughs) Just probably starting it off with, I hope you're sitting down while you're reading this, would be kind, I feel like. I think you can soften it up a bit. You have it like, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You're increasingly hot and will slowly kill me. Boomers to listen, maybe just say another thing millennials ruined. <laughs> the planet. Everything. 
One other apocalypse-related news item is based around a new report that humans have destroyed 60% of the world's animal population since 1970. It is. We did it! <laughs> uh, we did it! Fuck you, Dodo! <laughs> it's the spiders next! But if you're like me uh, and you listen to Alan Jones every day, uh, you have a sickness, and I'm sorry for you. Um, uh, but two, he actually makes a very good point on this. This is actually him. Uh, talking about this story. Let's play the tape. Oh, that's Scott Morrison. Gee, he was good. And I can tell you, in person, his upper body strength is quite remarkable. Now, here's this. This is a brand new report from those Osama bin Greenies at WWF. They have a bunch of scientists. <laughs> scientists? Oh, would you believe that? Oh, God. They claim that humanity, that's you and I, have wiped out 60% of animal populations since 1970. Oh, now, let me tell you something. Stories like this really get my goat. And now, my goat's gone missing. And I say, good riddance. Bye-bye, goat. Now, we shouldn't be boo-hooing this situation. We should celebrate it. The fact is that there are too many animals already and they're out to kill us. We need to streamline the amount of animals that we have on this planet and the circumstances in which they stay. Baboons, what are they good for? Them and their disgusting little purple bums can go away. Lions and tigers, yes, fun to shoot at and turn into a rug, but surely that's gauche. Everyone's got at least one of those now. What we need is a white list. If you're all right, you're white. Top of the list, tuna. Oh, delicious. Thoroughbred horses, wonderfully majestic creatures. I could watch them run around in circles all day. Just like the other day at the Everest, the world's richest race on turf, with a prize money of over $13 million. Uh, wallabies, they've got to stay, despite how terrible their back line is. Uh, and you can't have wallabies without kiwis. Uh, the point is, animals have to earn the right to live on this planet. If you don't look good, you taste disgusting, we can't bet on you. If you can't sing as beautifully as Anthony Kalia, ah, oh, what a voice. Oh, then you deserve to be made extinct. Like those other endangered species, Labour Prime Ministers. <laughs> Up next, we're going to be talking to ten people named Mildred who were born on the same day. Oh, wait for that. You're listening to Irrational Fear, Australia's most ordinary satirical comedy podcast. <laughs> Your first fear in the for tonight is Rosie Waterland! Oh, he's making me stand. Um, you know, Dan, when you sent through the script today and it just had in it Alan Jones clip, I thought you were going to play a real Alan's, Alan Jones clip. And I'm glad that you did. <laughs> All right. So because this is a satirical political podcast, and I know a lot about politics, I'm going to talk to you about something really important that's happened in the last couple of weeks. But first, I want you all to cast your minds back to a time when you were young. Young and in love for the first time. Young and in love and a fucking idiot. <laughs> and imagine at that time if you also had access to millions of dollars. How would you have behaved? What terrible choices would you have made? Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you a breakdown of the greatest love story of our time, Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson. <laughs> Ariana, graduate of the School of Nickelodeon, long nails, high ponytail. Pete, Saturday Night Live cast member, perhaps best known for his brave work in which he simulated 69ing with semi-retired wrestler and star of The Mummy Returns, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> 12th of May, 2018, a few days into the relationship. The very first hashtag Pariana sightings are reported by reputable news sources. They are spotted canoodling at an SNL after party. Ariana is photographed with a cloud-shaped phone case, which is very similar to Pete's cloud-shaped phone case. <laughs> 23rd of May, 2018, two weeks into the relationship. Matching cloud-shaped phone cases aren't a strong enough declaration of what is clearly love. Ariana and Pete can foresee no circumstances in which this will ever not work. They therefore get matching tattoos of their cloud-shaped phone cases. <laughs> That's not a joke, that's true. <laughs> 28th of May, two weeks 
five days into their relationship. Ariana and Pete realised that getting matching finger tattoos so too soon in their relationship was a mistake. Oh. It's an insultingly small gesture. They get matching arm tattoos. <laughs> 2nd of June, 2018, a month into the relationship. Pete and Ariana make things official and continue to post pictures of each other on Instagram, the most prolific of which is a pic Pete posts of Ariana under which she comments, I look so good here, heart eyes emoji. <laughs> 4th of June, 2018, a month and two days into their relationship. Pete gets two more tattoos to mark the fact that he has found a relationship that will always last and never change. One of Ariana's initials and the other of what is possibly her most renowned contribution to modern music culture, a pair of Ariana dangerous woman sexy bunny ears. <laughs> he posts a photo of Ariana with the caption, are you fucking kidding me? So fucking lit, heart eyes emoji, heart eyes emoji, heart eyes emoji. <laughs> heart eyes emoji. <laughs> June 15, 2018. A month and a half into the relationship. Pete proposes to Ariana with a $100,000 ring. He describes the moment as follows. We were in bed hanging after watching a movie. I was like, will you marry me? It was really dope. <laughs> June 19, 2018, a month and a half and a few days into their relationship, Ariana releases her new album, which includes a song called Pete. When fans ask her if maybe she's moving too quickly, she responds, I've been the fuck through it, and life's too short to be cryptic and shit, about something as beautiful as the love I'm in. She then hints that Pete has a 10-inch penis and 1,000 opinion articles about the term big dick energy are born. None of which, none of which, point out that young women and girls are encouraged by a patriarchal and misogynistic porn culture to make their male partners feel sexually praised and admired at all times, regardless of whether or not they actually have a 10-inch penis. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping some truth bombs on Lewis Hobber. <laughs> June 20, 2018. A month and a half and a few days plus another day into their relationship. Sick of not having a permanent base to access that 10-inch penis, Ariana buys the two of them a $15 million penthouse in New York City. And in a reminder that they are just young idiots with lots of money, they post many photos showing the apartment has no furniture except for a bed, a television, a sound system, and a pig pen for the pig they adopted and named Piggy Smalls. <laughs> Please. June 21 to October 14, 2018. More Instagram comments, in which both of, both of them always write the letter U instead of writing Y-O-U, which is so annoying to me, not because it's dumb, but because when you type the letter U, autocorrect corrects it to I because they think you're not an idiot and you're trying to write I, and then you have to go back and cross out U and put I, and then it corrects it again, and then you have to go back and put in U, and then autocorrects like, oh, you are an idiot, so I'll do U, in which time you could have just written Y-O-U, but no, it looks cool to be semi-literate. Ariana spends every day wearing thigh-high boots, no pants, and a jumper with Pete's face on it. And feeling as though the two tattoos, $15 million penthouse apartment, engagement, and adopted pig weren't enough, she gets his name tattooed on another one of her fingers. Pete, in what is a concerning but not super surprising attitude about women as objects to be kept, jokes on television about feeling like he won a contest 
and making sure he keeps his prize by swapping her birth control pills for Tic Tacs, which means he's very confused about the actual appearance of either birth control pills or Tic Tacs. <laughs> he also points out that his dick is around Ariana, and I quote, forever hard. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Illich, who was in the audience this evening. She, she really liked the Biggie Smalls reference. <laughs> Nobody can resist a good pun. October 15, 2018. Five months and two days into their relationship. Well, it turns out, my friends, that forever hard isn't always forever. <laughs> TMZ reports that despite all the tattoos proving that this young love was always going to last, the couple have split. Apparently the stress over the tragic sudden death of Ariana's ex-boyfriend, rapper Mac Miller, was too much for the definite soulmates. Because, and this evidently came as a shock to the lovebirds, when your early relationship bubble bursts and you come up against the absolute dumpster fire that is the reality of life, 90% of the time what you thought was true love is actually just a guy who won't pay for anything and thinks that birth control pills look like Tic Tacs. <laughs> Both Ariana and Pete begin covering their tattoos. And if you're wondering, which I was, if there were any responsible, wise adults during this whole debacle, perhaps quietly hinting that impulsive and rash decisions were being made about something that may not definitely be love, Pete made a very revealing comment while the two of them were still together about how life works for young, famous, rich dummies. While he was on Jimmy Kimmel, he said, we were at home and Ariana was like, I want a pig, and an hour later, it was just there. <laughs> November 2. Today. <laughs> 2 p.m., 18 days post-breakup. An SNL promo featuring Pete jokingly proposing to a woman he's never met goes viral in minutes. Despite both insisting that there is no bad blood between them, Ariana tweets, then quickly deletes. For somebody who claims to hate relevancy, you the letter U. Sure love clinging to it, huh? Next. And there will be a next, my friends. Because when you're young and in love and have millions of dollars, there is nothing to stop you from being a fucking idiot. <laughs> Rosie Wadland. So, Tan, let me ask you, if your relationships were international news, what would you have to be embarrassed about? Oh, boy. I don't even know where to start. Um, but I think the first time that I was in love, I certainly would have been as fucking stupid as Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson have been. Uh, so, thank God, I have no money. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, like, as a dipshit comedian that has ended up with someone much better than me. I am strongly on the side of, oh, maybe he's sweet. <laughs> he actually said that he was getting death threats from people saying, how the F are you with her? And he was like, am I that bad? Like, guys. They were from me. And um, I, <laughs> honestly, I, I, I love Ariana. She's a, she's a doll. And, and look, Pete's great. But look, some... <laughs> Someone had to tell him. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> now, if you guys had millions of dollars and no one was telling you no for the first time that you were in love, what, what stupid stuff would you have done? Dan, I work for the ABC, so I do have millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> My... No one tells me no. <laughs> Certainly nothing in the news recently about the government telling anyone in the ABC to say no. <laughs> ah, no, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Ah, no, we can do what we want. Yeah, Free and independent, who's with me? Yeah. All right, all right. I really like that Morrison guy. <laughs> the, the first, like, dinner I ever took my first girlfriend to was at Hungry Jack's. So if I had a million dollars, I'd fucking upsize. <laughs> Buy a franchise. I mean, her, buy, her buying that $15 million apartment was basically like, we don't have anywhere to get it on without people hearing, so... Let's get a space. Yeah, I mean, you remember when you were 17 and you couldn't make any noise and you were just like, oh, if only we had our own house. I don't remember we. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> Irrational Fear, Australia's number one source of fair dinkum satire. Irrational Fear. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Up next, Tanya Ali. Hello, hello. We are going to pivot a little from celebrity romance uh, to Australia's absolute number one favourite topic, race. Uh, So, guys, I have a big problem with a little phrase that's been popping up all over the place. And I mean literally, this phrase has been posted on uh, the first female Muslim MP and Ali's office uh, just the other night. Senator Sarah Hansen-Young found a poster outside her office too. It's been happening, in fact, all around the world. Uh, But before that, it was brought into the hallowed halls uh, of the Australian Senate by none other than our favourite red-hot matchbox mascot, Pauline Hanson. You definitely know what I'm talking about. I'll start, you guys finish. It's okay. Oh, guys, whoa, whoa, (laughs) far out. Too enthusiastic, (laughs) Illick. Yeah, I thought we were at a podcast recording, not a KKK meet, but okay. Uh, Look, Milo's cancelling his tour, so we need to to replace him with something. That's true. We've got to fill a gap. Uh, So this term apparently has had a long history in the white supremacist movement, but regained popularity last year uh, in the online oasis where all society's greatest minds come together, 4chan. I wouldn't necessarily pick Pauline, by the way, as a meme star, but I guess when white supremacy is your thing, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, But anyway, as I was saying, I do have a big problem with this catchphrase. Uh, Not because it's a weird racist catch cry uh, that until recently was used almost solely by stupid skinheads and absolutely has no place in Australian uh, parliament. That's just classic Ozpol, you know, you, you get what you deserve. Um, and it's not just because in every aspect of the Western world and even the world at large, when it comes to representation and systematic privilege, uh, it's a totally redundant term. Um, no, the real problem is that n- No one seems to be talking about it either. Uh, Why didn't they go with, it's all right to be white? (laughs) You fucking idiots, it's right there. It's so simple. I really don't understand. But all painfully obvious, better and catchier slogans aside, uh, I think maybe we're being a little harsh on old Pauline. Uh, If there's one thing that this whole saga has shown us, it's that she's got a niche that she's really passionate about. And, I don't know, maybe all of this was a guise to bring the real issue into the forefront. In Pauline's words, and I quote, People have a right to be proud of their cultural background, whether it be black, white, or brindle. (laughs) I am so glad someone's standing up for brindle culture. Uh, A definitely real and very human thing. Um, Also, on a quick side note, uh, has anyone looked at Pauline Hanson's Twitter? Because it's it's a lot. I kind of had to spend a lot of time with it today. And all she does is retweet herself uh, and Sky News on an endless loop. Uh, I've never Sounds like my Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) She's still in your niche. Um, She has a job, Dan. Uh, Just in a bit of a tangent, today Pauline Hanson tweeted um, a picture of a box of tissues um, with the words, Dear at Sarah in the Sen 8, that's Sarah Hanson Young's uh, Twitter handle, I heard that you were very upset and wanted to help, so I had my office send these over to you. I do apologise though, I could only find them in white. Best wishes, Pauline Hanson. Look at our Pauline go. She's trying a hand at comedy. Who knows? Dan might just nap her for the next recording. I don't know. Her and Fat Man Scoop just fucking killing it. Anyway, circling back to the it's okay to be white motion in the Senate. Initially, it was defeated very narrowly because our government voted with it, defended it on Twitter, then apparently after a little bit of Googling, uh, backtracked using the excuse that it was an administrative error, which is basically the bureaucratic equivalent of the first excuse that you learn as a kid. Ah, oops, like, I did a (laughs) boo-boo. And then the Australian media, God bless them, took 
certificate without batting an eyelid, now referring to the vote as a gaffe or perhaps kindly as a blunder. Uh, it's pretty bleak. But the bottom line is, I think all issues surrounding this would be solved if everyone just got their inflections right. You know, inflections are something that us with the Australian accent are known for fucking up. Uh, so it's cool, I get it, but let's clear it up right now. It's okay to be white. It's fine. Uh, I mean, it's maybe not ideal. It's pretty bland. But you do get some pretty sweet perks too. So you probably don't need reassurance uh, via Parliament. Tanya mentioned this in her piece. Uh, the It's Okay to Be White posters kind of all appeared this week in the space of about 48 hours uh, all around the world uh, in uh, Canada, in the US, and outside politicians' uh, uh, offices in Australia. So my question is... Oh, this is... Um, this is from the Washington Post, this quote. Uh, they said, a series of people said that the sign uh, should read, it's okay to be white. Post them on college campuses and elsewhere, then stand back and watch the fun begin. News reports will draw attention to the posters, then normies will discover that American journalists and lefties hate white people. In the process, normies will stop regarding news outlets as credible. That would deal a damaging blow in the culture war, inevitably converting more normies to the white nationalist alt-right side. It could, be, it could be that easy to see social disruption. This is from the people who created this meme. So my question is, are the baddies winning the culture wars? And if they are, should I change sides? <laughs> is this be, is this like the Illich Illich? Like you're like Vichy France, man. Like I can turn again. I can turn again. I can turn again. Yeah, you're very, you're like so you're just ready to go. I love it. I uh, it, it proves that it's all right to be white at the very least. But <laughs> there are just no there are no hot like other than the account wholesome memes. There are no wholesome memes. No, they're all awful, and the internet's bad. But I think... Everyone should follow Wholesome Memes, by the way. It's fucking adorable. What's... Often, like, I wake up in the morning and I want to cry and I just open up Wholesome Memes and... What's remarkable about this is imagine having... having and a vast majority of this audience can, myself included, imagine having all the cultural power for thousands of years and oh, then still to. needing to show up and be like... Actually, we're cool, and you should stop picking on us because it's hurting my fifis. Uh, yeah. I, oh, it's like this week, I put up a basic Susan meme on my Instagram, and I had so many women actually called Susan messaging me going, can you not? And I was like, white people are basic Susans. That's like the equivalent, isn't it? Even the term normie has been like co-opted by the alt-right to kind of uh, to kind of for their own means. Do do you think that we're going to see an end to this kind of meme culture anytime soon? If they get laid. <laughs> you're, so, listening, you're, you're listening to Irrational okay. Fear, the show where you're missing out on the Taylor Co Taylor Swift concert right now. That's you. Irrational Fear. It is good to be back. Hello. All right, let's go. <laughs> it sounds like a horror movie. The sun goes down, a blood moon rises. A siren blares a warning around the Sky News studios. The actual journalists grab their bug out bags and run for the door. David Spears trips and falls to his knees. The others hesitate, but they know he's already dead. They scamper for the exits, barring it behind them. There can be no mercy here. These are the lawless badlands. This is Sky News After Dark. <laughs> the easiest way to describe Sky News After Dark is to borrow the old introduction from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Everything is made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> Every night, someone in the bowels of the Sky News studio pulls on a giant lever and changes the purpose of the channel from journalism to clown factory. And fact-based news coverage gives way to hours of increasingly unhinged opinions. Now, Sky News After Dark is being broadcast on the Wind Network, which potentially exposes it to a greater swath of Australians than ever, which is a huge win for Sky News, who recently lost one of their major audience demographics, people forced to watch it while waiting for a train. <laughs> 
And now, when I started writing this piece, and I will say as late as about midday today, <laughs> the real winner of this change seemed to be Outsiders. Now, if you don't know Outsiders, it is a show hosted by... Well, show is a strong term, but it is a program hosted by Rowan Dean and Ross Cameron. And it's a bit like if Statler and Waldorf from The Muppet Show tumbled off the balcony a few times but carried on presenting. Outsiders began as a vehicle for Mark Latham to more efficiently port raw sewage into the minds of people sitting in a Qantas club. Latham was then removed from the show and proceeded to create his own garage version of the program, like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer tries to run the Merv Griffin show out of his living room. You think this would be the death knell for the Outsiders, but they defiantly pushed on with Latham's backup singers, Rowan Dean and Ross Cameron. Together, this dynamic duo built Outsiders from a small joke of a program to a medium-sized joke of a program. Outsiders could boast the lofty heights of Sky News After Dark program least attached to reality. In their final weekly show, before they managed to move to the daily topics, they fit in the following topics. The majesty of the moon, the history of flight, Trump's genius, taxation, Colin Kaepernick, Trump's accomplishments, a borderline infomercial for Bitcoin, renewables from Japan, the Wentworth by-election, Margaret Thatcher's ladies not for turning speech for some reason, a weather segment, weather segment dedicated to the global warming pause, South African farmers, the trendiness of mental health funding, Kanye West, who they claim to be a huge fan of but have never once pronounced his name correctly, and a review of the 1997 film Pause in which Billy Connolly voices a computer-savvy dog. I am not making any of those up, and I will say that they did a pretty good job with the pause review. It's an underrated film. <laughs> Billy Connolly plays a dog that hacks. What more do you want? In truth, it feels sometimes you can see the cogs slowly turning in the host's heads as they ping from idea to idea with the rapidity of freeform jazz, if, say, you put the trumpet up to your butt during a nasty bout of IBS. Sky News After Dark is the true public broadcaster in that it's only watched by public servants. In pure numbers terms, the Outsiders program at its peak has an audience about the size of the mid midday reruns of Dr. Phil with none of the emotional breakthroughs. But finally, today, their luck ran out. And by luck, I mean amount of time they could go before anyone noticed their fairly constant racism. Today, Ross Cameron was fired after being insanely racist about, of all things, the people at Disneyland. And we'll put a boy on this, but Dylan, if you could. Uh, if you go to the uh, Disneyland in Shanghai on any typical morning of the week, you'll see 20,000 uh, black-haired, slanty-eyed, yellow-skinned Chinese desperate to get into Disney. Now, first, I want you to imagine the diseased brain that visits Disneyland. Literally a place that bills itself as the happiest place on Earth and comes out racist. Which was truly Walt Disney's vision. And then the part that is particularly Ross Cameron about this, he was at the Shanghai Disneyland angry that there were Asian people there. <laughs> Ross Cameron, my dude, go back to where you came from. <laughs> Remarkably, the same outrage wasn't caused a few weeks ago when Rowan Dean said this on The Bolt Report. Because I'm on air, I'm not going to use the N-word, but normally my opinion is I will use the N-word uh, because I don't mean it in any way other than it's another word. And if I use, choose to use it offensively, I'll use it offensively. If I choose to use it non-offensively, I'll use it like that. But we're on air, so... Do you know what word is really easy to use non-offensively? <laughs> the N-word by a weird white dude. That one goes over great. It's a remarkable fucking group of people and as it stands there is no word if Rowan Dean will continue on alone and it is possible as I've said before they only put cameras in Sky News studios for the same reason they put mirrors in bird cages <laughs> to convince the poor creatures stuck inside that they're somehow not alone 
But now, after today's events, this piece has turned from a tribute into, as John Oliver called it, a fuck eulogy. Two outsiders who bravely, week after week, entered a battle of wits unarmed. Hearing the outsiders tell you their ideas are dangerous came with the same promise as the new kid who just pulled his wheelie bag into the high school auditorium telling you he's actually really cool. But now, like that child after copping the slightest whiff of peanut butter, Outsiders is dead. <laughs> but in its death, it still provides a look into what Sky News After Dark truly values. They're not the voice of the political outsider, they're not the voice of real Australia. They're just another sad vestige of ongoing culture wars, parroting the same deadlines of argument, fact-free, cherry-picked science, and nonsensical, meandering opinions. They have gone from strength to strength as the network moves each night to eat up whatever credibility its actual journalists have built up during the day. And as a final message to Ross in particular, congratulations on fucking up the easiest job on earth. <laughs> I hope you take some time to sit in a teacup in Disneyland and take a long, hard look at yourself. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. Go fuck yourselves. Amen. If you love that, you're going to love James Colley on stage talking with Nakia Louie tomorrow night. Sunday. Oh, Sunday night, right here. What time? Uh, I'm going to say 5.30. <laughs> That's a good time to say. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. 5.30. Right here on this stage, two great Australian satirists. Are you fighting each other out to be the best Australian satirist? I think she'll kill me. She's got the numbers on the board. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Irrational Fear. We call out politicians earlier than Anthony Green on a by-election night. Hey, hey, Ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Hubbard. is rational. Hello. Sometimes it's hard to pinpoint the exact moment someone becomes the worst. Like a cooling bath, turning into the worst is a gradual process. It happens so slowly you don't realise you are the worst until you're lying in tepid bathwater talking to yourself about Bitcoin. <laughs> but a pretty good chance you're about to become the worst is when you decide to write an opinion piece. And there's one that comes around this time every year. Because if you listen to old people, the scariest thing this week was Halloween! <laughs> yes! Not because a scary six-year-old dressed as Batman knocked at your door. It's scary because Halloween is an Australian! <laughs> the headline of one opinion piece... Is that... Are you clapping because you don't like Halloween? Oh, wow, we're going to... We're going to have some fun, you and I. No, 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 everyone's opinions are welcome here. You know that's not true. Oh. It... We've got a basic Susan meme in the front row here. No, look, tweets their own. Ross Cameron's uh... on next week. Uh, so... <laughs> the headline of one opinion piece in the Fairfax Papers this week read, Don't come trick-or-treating at my house. I won't answer the door. Every year, some Karen or Doug laments the creep of Halloween into Australia and they yell into their typewriter, we will decide which holidays come to our country and the circumstances in which they come. We've closed our borders to refugees. Next, pumpkins. But Australians are scared of Americanisation. I got yelled at on Triple J this week. A young people station, ostensibly, for saying a bunch of. And they told me Australians are supposed to say lots of or heaps of. <laughs> now, I don't give a bunch of fucks about that person. <laughs> or their heaps of shit opinions. I just mention it to illustrate people are angry about the Americanization of Australia and they see Halloween as the nail in the coffin that they will not use as decoration. <laughs> now obviously these cultural traditionalists are less vocal about things like teaching Aboriginal language in schools. Their fight is to only celebrate festivals that we made right here at home, like our beautiful Australian White Christmas. I don't mind hanging on to traditions, but we had nothing on on October 31st. 
The calendar was open. There was no Boxing Day test. There's no Melbourne Cup. It is during Spring Racing Carnival, but if anything, that gives you more costume options. You could come as Winx winning. Or instead of using your white bed sheet as a ghost, use it to hold up in front of a horse you're shooting in the head because it hurt its foot. <laughs> and I'm not saying we should blindly follow Americans into everything. <laughs> All relationships have their ups and downs. <laughs> and ours with America has plenty of downs. And by downs, I mean illegal invasions of Iraq. <laughs> But we've got that down now, you know? We've got the half a million civilian deaths on our hands. Ah, Let's get the downs out of the way and celebrate some ups! Let's get some slutty costumes! Let's live a little, you know? Sexy ghost, let's work it. Halloween is great for two groups. Children who want to dress up and eat lollies and adults who want to dress up and eat pills. Let's That's as much fun as either of those two groups can have. <laughs> if people are worried about Americans taking over our holidays, let's give some back. Our countries always talk about free trade. Let's export our traditions to them. They've already picked up on our tradition of imprisoning children. Let's build on that. Let's trade them a holiday. Just think of what Americans would do with Anzac Day. Oof. A nationalistic celebration where even whispering something negative about your country's history sets off an orchestrated attack by the entire national media. Mm, mm, mm. America would love that, and it comes with biscuits. They're Anzac biscuits, motherfucker. So if you're looking for a Halloween costume next year and you don't have anything prepared, just go as an old person who wants to stop you having fun for no fucking reason. All you need for that costume is a key to your own house, a subscription to a physical newspaper, and enough financial security to be able to genuinely feel like it doesn't matter that the world is burning and that every moment of fun you can grab at is actually really important because it could be the last one you have before the water wars or the firestorm or the white uprising or the pipe bombs or the fall depression or the nuclear war or the skin cancer because there's no ozone layer anymore or you go down in the rising tides or the crops die because there are no bees left or you get stuck responding to opinion pieces on the internet written by people who didn't even care what they wrote about to begin with. And if that doesn't work for you, slutty ghost. James, you've got, um, James, you've got some pretty strong feelings about Halloween. No, I think that it's, it's a great tradition to bring here. And if you think, if you have like a child dressed as a ghost and you send it to the home of a boomer, that's their three biggest fears. The youth, death, and having to share their resources. <laughs> Very spooky. Well, let's kick it off with our next uh, segment. We're going to bring our interview guest up on stage tonight. Tonight, our interview guest has become fast become one of Australia's most exciting tweeters. His day job is a fund manager in Singapore, but when the sun goes down, he just becomes just another relative of a former Prime Minister. <laughs> and according to billionaire businessman Mike Cannonbrooks, our interview guest tonight is a good guy with brains and his heart is in the right place. Please welcome to the stage, Alex Turnbull. <laughs> Come grab a seat there, Alex. Alex, uh, welcome to the stage. Uh, now, we need to get this out of the way straight away. Uh, in the SMH today, there's a great story that suggested that you called Justin Milne, then head, then chairperson of the ABC, to complain that some unedited footage, that, uh, some unedited interview that you did with Emma Arborici got leaked out there. And you're like, what's, what's the deal with that? What's going on? And now a journalist who was involved in that interview is suspended. 
Um, so my question to you is, you clearly have ability to make change at the ABC, is... <laughs> <laughs> is this part of your application for the role of managing director? <laughs> uh, sadly not, no. Um, that, that experience was, uh, by the time I got in touch with Justin, um, uh, someone had already stolen Emma Alberici's story. And if you're going to steal a story from Emory Alberici, you might as well steal Liam Neeson's daughter while you're at it. The outcome, <laughs> the same. Well, um, you seem to have the ability to get things done there. Could you call someone at the ABC to get Tonightly back on air? Is that... <laughs> uh, Dan, we've got Tomorrow Tonight now. Oh, that's right. So different. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you should fucking Very watch different. it. Very different. <laughs> Um, no, my question is simply, uh, can I have a couple of weeks off? We've been working really hard. <laughs> so I, last I checked, Justin had blocked me on WhatsApp, so it's uh, not shocking. <laughs> it's all right, the ABC did the same to him. <laughs> now, what does it feel like to be the, uh, like a real-life milkshake duck? Because uh, for, for a while there, you know, you were the darling of the left, and then all of a sudden you mess with the ABC... How, do, how does it make you feel like... Is it nice to go into the family business? <laughs> um, it was going to happen. <laughs> OK, let's move on to energy. Now, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison suggested this week that somehow the only electricity that matters that we can rely on is true blue dinky dye, fair dinkum coal. Uh, oh, look at, the, look at the sentiment in this crowd. Oh, my God. And somehow renewable energy wouldn't work when the sun wouldn't shine and the, and the wind wouldn't blow. But something tells me that um, there is a lot of wind blowing where the sun don't shine coming out of this guy's face. <laughs> How is Scott Morrison trying to frame coal and why is he doing that? I think it's, um, it, it is really trying to create some kind of image of a 1950s Australia, which John Howard was partial to. And he is trying to replicate that. But, you know, this is an engineering thing. It's, it's a, you know, but it's not much more than algebra in many cases. And, you know, the problem is, you know, you're trying to turn something which is really kind of boring and technical and do something which is a culture wars thing, which is not super constructive. Yeah, but it's Aussie. <laughs> so, but, so having a shitload of sunshine, a hole in the ozone layer, and that's fucking good for solar. Right? So Mike, I mean, you know. Mike Cannon Brooks, who gave you such a uh, lovely introduction from uh, Atlassian, the uh, most successful Australian under 40, probably one of the more successful Australians in general. Sorry, James. No, your show's doing really well. It's, Real talk. It's actually rating very well for its first week. Um, congratulations. <laughs> but, uh, so, he's, he's, re he's tried to do, like, rebrand, like, ridgy-didge, dinky-dye energy just, like, in the last few days. Do you think that'll work? He's tried to reclaim it as his own and, like, set up the website, bought the brand... Is it going to work? I, I think it'll work. I think it's... Um, a lot of the problems are... Like, a lot of the information just wasn't super available. So I've been working with some of the Melbourne Energy Institute guys to get... So you can actually see what you know, power prices are and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's partially like a communicating science thing. Um, and it's also a just uh, cutting through complete bullshit and the consulting industry, which seems to have monopolized the debate in this area. Just and uh, the consultant industry does not, I dare say it, fuck for free. Um, <laughs> this is the kind of space that you work in pretty much daily. Like, yeah. what, can, you, can you give people a bit of context to kind of like how like you think about energy every day? Like, yeah, I mean, like, but basically when, um, you know, I've been involved in uh, my first job in finance is working for a guy that nicknamed Mr Enron because we just picked through the pieces of that company for like two years straight. Um, and uh, it was a big bankruptcy and stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they look at all this sort of stuff pretty from a commercial point of view, you know. Have you heard about this big dick energy? I think it could be <laughs> really zero, zero, zero point big dick energy, yeah. Um, What's Matt Shervington doing? Can we get him involved in some sort of treadmill? <laughs> is it, it, talking about 100% renewable energy for this country, is that a possible goal, to go 100%? Yeah, as long as you've got the hydro and batteries, it, it works, yeah. In an ideal world, what do you think this government's priorities should be when it comes to comes to energy? Just have a clear, simple market design, 
have a target or a carbon tax, whatever, but just have a target and it'll work itself out. This might be a, an overly simplistic question, but if it's true what like the left-wing energy people say, which is that it's cheaper to do renewables and Australia has it all and it's going to lower power prices, what's, like, what's the hold-up? Like, what actually is the problem? Just jumping off that, like, I remember when I was growing up in primary school, renewable energy was like the thing and we learnt so much about it we would make these like models of houses with water tanks and solar panels and it was like very exciting and I feel like we were moving towards it 2007 happened Kyoto Protocol happened and then like carbon tax and now we're back yeah. if you could name a former prime minister you think most responsible for this change <laughs> I, I would say uh our, our attempts at extracting energy from red dick stickers was a fail. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I, yeah, it's just... Uh, look, I, the, the problem is, right, I'm going to put this in a tweet, like, you know, a coal plant's a rock burner, the rocks are more expensive now, that's your problem, right? Um, and anything in semiconductors, which is basically what solar panels are, uh, tends to progress pretty quickly, and... You know, the iPhone, whatever, X we're up to now, mm, mm. is a major improvement over the brick that was the iPhone 1, which is a glorified iPod and very expensive. Yeah, Alex, <laughs> you've said a lot of really intelligent, insightful things here. Yeah. Um, given I was the one who talked about Ariana Grande and Pete <laughs> Davidson, when Dan told me you were coming, I said, oh, that's the guy who's been spilling tea on Twitter. Yeah. Would you please spill some tea for us here tonight? What, what kind of tea? Say, <laughs> something, say something gossipy. It's gossipy. <laughs> Say something that'll get on the Daily Mail sidebar of shame. On a Daily Mail sidebar of shame, I would say, honestly, the level of rumours about the number of members of the Liberal Party that are considering going independent in the next election is like talking about people in the closet in Hollywood in the 70s. Wow. It is really... Oh, my God. Tom Cruise is... Yes. It is... It is... Yes. I knew he had Stuff, stuff just seems to be coming out. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Liberal Party. What, 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 is, what is their future? What, what do you see happening heading into May? I, I just think they've got to decide whether they want to be a, you know, socially... There's, there's like a socially progressive... You can sort swear of like Economically podcast, dry sort of side, and then there's like, we want to do the Donald Trump thing, and I think that's going to have to either get reconciled or restructured. <laughs> can I ask one more question? Obviously, everyone in Sydney uh, here at this podcast was watching the Wentworth by-election pretty closely. And when the result came in, every single person in Australia thought, what the fuck is Malcolm doing right now? <laughs> Tell us. Do you know what he was doing when the result came was in? Was he at your house? Uh, no, he wasn't. He, I think he was going for a walk to avoid being there when it happened. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah, I, I look, it's, he's, you know... He's Thrilled. Like, he Sharma. It, it's, you know... on. Uh, he, I had I had pretty clear cut feelings. I think his were um, not so clear. Yeah, that. Yeah. Can, uh, can I ask? <laughs> there's like a famous story of uh, when Gough Whitlam was dismissed. He went back to the lodge, and the first thing he did was order a fuck fuck off steak dinner and sat there and ate it at like eleven o'clock yeah. in the morning. Do you know the first thing? <laughs> Like, I had no idea. I wasn't there. <laughs> well, you've be, your tweets, Rosie was right, your tweets are pretty spicy fodder for news. Whenever you tweet, you know, news listen, and they, you know, repopulate it with think pieces, trying to uh, um, guess what you're, what you're thinking, what that means for the electorate, particularly around Wentworth when that was happening. So what is it like to be the Alan Jones for millennials? <laughs> um, well, I don't have any good sponsorship deals yet. Um... Yeah, I, uh, I'm into kilowatts, not catamites. Um, you could rephrase oils ain't oils to be a progressive policy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just resurrect Peter Garrett, he's better at it. <laughs> uh, you, when you tweet from Singapore, do you think, do you know like, the reaction that is happening in Australia? Or do you, just, is it, do you feel like quite distant from Australia when you're, I, when you're engaging? I, I initially got a, a long flow of complaints from people in the Liberal Party, and I think they've now reconciled that I've uh, passed the sort of uh, event horizon of giving a fuck. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so that stopped. 
you know, I'm on the other side of the black hole. <laughs> you're not coming, he's not coming back. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know really other than your tweets what your politics are. Like, where, where do you stand? Well, who, who would you vote for? Like, what's your background? Oh, look, I was, I was a member of Greenpeace when I was in high school. Um, so, you know, and then I protested against the Iraq war when I was in uni and, uh, yeah, got kicked out of the Republican club uh, at college, <laughs> which, was, which was fun for, like, three months, and then they worked out I wasn't going to fit in. Uh, but, yeah, on the other hand, like, I mean, I, look, I'm a, I did a lot of whatever research in uni and market design. I'm not, like, an anti-markets guy. I'm just, like, if you fuck up the design, you'll get a fucked up outcome. Right, so like you need to kind of, these things need to be regulated and designed properly. So um, three, and this is very simplistic, yeah. we're running out of time, but three simple ideas for a clean energy future, what would they be tomorrow? Uh, honestly, there's a lot of stuff in the neg, it's pretty well designed, needs a way higher target. Um, uh, in terms of electric cars, don't subsidise 50-year-old men going through midlife crises to buy <laughs> Teslas. Anything but that, for God's sake. Um, you know, focus on cabbies and, you know, um, like uh, heavy-duty trucking and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I guess, socialise the idea that this is just not actually going to cost anything now that all the renewables are so cheap and people should, frankly, just relax and get on with it. Yeah. And on a also serious note, who in the Liberal Party is the biggest sook? <laughs> Good question. Um, in what sense? Sooking about which particular thing? Oh, they've got a lot, don't they? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, there's, there's been a general sense of not coping since I uh, have been enjoying private life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's... Uh, that, that, look, I mean, the, the, one thing I would say is that it's been highly amusing for me, uh, this is sort of a social experiment, right, to see how people who had engaged in non-stop terrorism for the last however many years are not coping with their own terrorism. Uh, so this is the problem, right? You've either got to work together, but if you want to freelance non-stop, it's, uh, no one's got a monopoly on that. You should run for a Warringah. <laughs> I... There are so many other better people. It's like, it, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, what's that Jeremy Piven movie where everyone's trying to kill him? Um, no, that's just his life. <laughs> Smoking aces. It's a bit like that. Please thank Alex Turnbull. Please, thank you. Stay here. Now, before we go, here's what you should be scared of next week. This Monday, Tony Jones is set to conduct Malcolm Turnbull's first ever exit interview on Q&A Human Resources Edition. Expect the former Prime Minister to answer questions like, how can we increase workplace morale? And Australia features on the front page of the international business magazine, The Economist, as one of the most pro prosperous nations in the world. That's right, America. We have three Guantanamo Bays. And Ross Cameron lost his job. Now that's comedy. Irrational Fear is recorded live in front of a rowdy bunch of the giant dwarf in Sydney. Please thank our fear monks tonight, Lewis Hover, James Cosby, Rosie Waterman, Tanya Ali, Alex Turnbull, Dylan Bain on decks, and the Wacky Clips. Wacky Woo! Clips. It's hosted by me, Dan Illich. A big thank you to Yak Festival and the team here at Giant Dwarf. They do such a great job. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.